This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of celiac disease from the gastrointestinal section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A 7-year-old girl is brought in by her parents for poor weight gain and recurrent diarrhea. They have tried eliminating dairy from her diet with no improvement in symptoms. She reports 3 to 5 loose stools per day for the last 6 months. The condition improves when she fasts and is usually worse when she eats fast food like pizza. On exam, you notice several excoriated areas on the girl's arms, which she states are very itchy. Now, let's get into the topic. As a quick overview, celiac disease is a chronic autoimmune disorder triggered by an environmental agent, specifically the gliadin component of gluten, in genetically predisposed individuals. This is often found in wheat and other grains such as barley and rye. This often develops in childhood, but may develop at any age. As far as demographics, Celiac disease occurs primarily in Caucasians of Northern European ancestry and is seen in greater than 1 in 5,000 in North America. With respect to pathogenesis, upon exposure to gluten, an abnormal immune response leads to the production of several different autoantibodies that affect different organs. This leads to the formation of an immune complex in the intestinal mucosa, primarily at the small intestine. Presence of the immune complex promotes the aggregation of killer lymphocytes, which cause mucosal damage. This leads to the loss of villi lining, or villus atrophy, and proliferation of Crip cells. Damage of the villi lining leads to dysfunction in nutrient absorption, leading to malabsorption and anemia. In terms of genetics, there is no single genetic marker that exists for celiac disease. The majority of patients, however, have the variant HLA-DQ2 or HLA-DQ8 allele. These predisposing HLA risk alleles are necessary but not sufficient to develop celiac disease. Associated conditions with celiac disease include other autoimmune diseases, for example, diabetes mellitus type 1. As far as the presentation, symptoms of celiac disease include steatorrhea, which can lead to fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies, abdominal pain, bloating, flatulence, weight loss slash failure to gain weight, fatigue, keep in mind that some patients are asymptomatic, and repeated infections, especially if IgA deficient, which is common in celiac patients. Remember that these patients have anaphylaxis if transfused by IgA-containing blood products. On physical exam, you may find abdominal distension, pallor, mouth ulcers, short stature, and dermatitis herpetiformis, which manifests with pruritic, red, papulovesicular lesions commonly on the shoulders, elbows, and knees. This is due to IgA deposits in the upper dermis. In terms of imaging, dual-energy X-ray absorptiometry, or DEXA scans, can be used to identify risk of fracture and need for bone protection medication. In terms of studies, let's go over some serum labs and invasive studies that are important in the setting of celiac disease. So starting with serum labs, serological antibody testing is the best initial test, and these include anti-tissue transglutaminase or TTG IgA antibody and anti-endomysial IgA antibody. Tests for IgA antibodies will be negative in those with IgA deficiency. For patients with IgA deficiency, deaminated gliadin peptide or DGP IgG testing is available. Positive serology requires small bowel biopsy for confirmation of diagnosis. CBC, iron studies, folic acid, and vitamin B12 are used to evaluate the level of malnutrition slash malabsorption. HLA testing is only useful in ruling out celiac disease. Moving on to invasive studies, the important test is an upper endoscopy with a small bowel biopsy. 
This is the best confirmatory test. And keep in mind that at least four duodenal biopsies are recommended. Endoscopic features include loss of folds, visible fissures, nodularity, scalloping, and prominent submucosal vascularity. Histologic features include increased intraepithelial lymphocytes and plasma cells, atrophic mucosa with loss of villi, enhanced epithelial apoptosis, and crypt hyperplasia. Moving on to the differential diagnosis of celiac disease, the diagnoses to consider include tropical sprue, inflammatory bowel disease, and irritable bowel syndrome. The distinguishing factors between tropical sprue and celiac disease is that tropical sprue responds to antibiotics and is associated with travel to the tropics. Distinguishing factors between inflammatory bowel disease and celiac disease is that inflammatory bowel disease has different histological appearance on biopsy. And finally, distinguishing factors between irritable bowel syndrome and celiac disease is that irritable bowel syndrome will have negative biopsy results. Treatment for celiac disease include lifestyle modifications and medical treatment. Lifestyle modifications include a gluten-free diet, which allows healing of the intestinal mucosa and resolution of all symptoms, and eliminates the heightened risk of osteoporosis and intestinal cancer. Other lifestyle modifications include dietary supplements. Medical treatment includes steroids or immunosuppressants, for example, azathioprine, which is considered in patients with refractory disease. Dapsone is the treatment of dermatitis herpetiformis. Complications of celiac disease include iron deficiency anemia, osteoporosis, infertility, neurological problems secondary to malabsorption, and intestinal lymphoma, which develops in 10 to 15% of patients. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 15-year-old boy presents to his pediatrician concerned that he is not growing as well as his peers. He had previously grown 2 inches in the past year, but is concerned that many of his friends are now taller than him. He reports eating a healthy diet and plays soccer recreationally. He admits to having increasingly frequent episodes of abdominal pain over the past 6 months and occasional loose stools. He also recently developed a rash, but he dismissed this as being acne. The boy's height is 65 inches or 166 centimeters and weighs 107 pounds or 48.5 kilograms, which is unchanged from previous measurements last year. His current height is significantly lower than his mean parental height. Physical exam demonstrates a non-tender, non-distended abdomen with mildly increased bowel sounds. On physical exam of his rash, he is found to have symmetrical formation of pruritic vesicles on his elbows. Which of the following is the next best step in management? And the choices are 1. Anti-ASCA antibody testing. 2. Anti-endomesial antibody testing. 3. Anti-smooth muscle antibody testing. 4. Colonoscopy with tissue biopsy. And 5. HLA DQ2 and DQ8 testing. The correct answer to this question is 2. Anti-endomesial antibody testing. So the patient's symptoms of abdominal pain with occasional loose stools, poor growth velocity, and dermatitis herpetiformis is consistent with the diagnosis of celiac disease, making testing for anti-endomesial antibodies the next best step. Celiac disease is a relatively common disorder due to gluten intolerance. Gluten processing by tissue transglutaminase generates fragments that are targeted by the immune system, resulting in damage to the mucosa of the small intestine and also causing dermatitis herpetiformis. A variety of autoantibodies can be used to screen for celiac disease, including anti-endomysial, 
anti-tissue transglutaminase, and anti-gliadin antibodies. Anti-endomesial and anti-tissue transglutaminase antibodies are useful for screening for celiac disease, which may additionally need to be paired with a small intestinal biopsy in order to make the diagnosis. The patient's physical exam findings are classic for dermatitis herpetiformis. The hallmark of dermatitis herpetiformis is the symmetrical formation of pruritic vesicles. It is most commonly found on the scalp, shoulders, knees, or as in this case, the elbows. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, anti-ASCA antibodies may be seen in Crohn's disease as well as ulcerative colitis. The patient's presentation with poor growth, diarrhea, and abdominal pain at first may be concerning for inflammatory bowel disease, but the presence of dermatitis herpetiformis makes a diagnosis of celiac disease more likely. Answer 3, anti-smooth muscle antibodies may be seen in autoimmune hepatitis. Autoimmune hepatitis has a wide range of presentations ranging from an asymptomatic elevation of transaminases to chronic liver disease to fulminant hepatic failure. This patient lacks stigmata of liver disease and the presence of abdominal pain, diarrhea, poor growth, and dermatitis herpetiformis makes a diagnosis of celiac disease more likely. Answer 4, colonoscopy with tissue biopsy may be indicated in patients with a suspected diagnosis of ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, or other disorders of the colon. However, the effects of celiac disease are largely limited to the small intestine. Colonoscopy with tissue biopsy would not provide any pertinent information for this case. And finally, answer 5, HLA DQ2 and DQ8 testing are not used for screening for celiac disease. While celiac disease is associated with the presence of these HLA types, their diagnostic utility is low compared to serology. To leave you with a bullet summary, anti-endomysial and anti-tissue transglutaminase antibodies are useful when screening for celiac disease. Moving on to the next question. A 38-year-old man presents to the clinic for complaints of abdominal pain and diarrhea. He reports a long-standing history of the symptoms except for the time when he attempted a carbohydrate-free diet five years ago. The pain is described as stabbing, diffuse, 8 out of 10, and is especially worse following food intake. Recently, he noticed some numbness and tingling of his feet, but denies any bloody stool, nausea, vomiting, fevers, weight loss, or focal neurological deficits. What histopathological findings would you expect to find in this patient? And the choices are 1. Blunting of the intestinal villi at the ilium. 2. Crypt abscesses at the descending colon. 3. Non-caseating granulomas at the ileum. 4. Normal gastric mucosa at the jejunum. And 5. PAS-positive foamy macrophages at the jejunum. The correct answer to this question is 1. Blunting of the intestinal villi at the ileum. So this patient is presenting with signs of celiac disease, which include diarrhea, abdominal pain, and peripheral neuropathy secondary to vitamin B12 deficiency. The pathognomonic histopathology finding of celiac disease is blunting of the intestinal villi. Celiac disease is an autoimmune-mediated intolerance of gliadin, which is a gluten protein found in wheat. It is associated with HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8, and is more common in people with Northern European ancestry. Patients affected with the disease often present with diarrhea, steatorrhea, weight loss, and weakness. Some may have dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a dermatological rash associated with celiac disease. Though decreased mucosal absorption primarily affects the distal duodenum and or proximal jejunum, the ileum can be affected, and chronic enteropathy may lead to vitamin B12 deficiency. In addition to the classic histological finding, 
Laboratory findings may include IgA, anti-tissue transglutaminase, and anti-endomysial or anti-gliadin peptide antibodies. Treatment is a gluten-free diet. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, crypt abscesses at the descending colon may be seen in ulcerative colitis. This often presents with bloody stools, which the patient denies. Answer 3, non-caseating granulomas at the ileum may be seen in Crohn's disease, which may present similarly to celiac disease with abdominal pain and diarrhea. However, the fact that the patient had resolution of symptoms during a carbohydrate-free diet suggests celiac disease. Answer 4, normal gastric mucosa at the jejunum can be seen in lactose intolerance or irritable bowel syndrome. Both may present with abdominal pain and diarrhea. However, it would not explain the peripheral neuropathy seen in this patient. And finally, answer 5, PAS-positive foamy macrophages at the jejunum are seen in Whipple disease, secondary to infection, with Trophorema whippoli. This is more commonly seen in older men and will present with more systemic symptoms such as arthralgia, cardiac symptoms, and neurologic signs. To leave you with a bullet summary, flattened intestinal villi are pathognomonic for celiac disease, which presents with abdominal pain, diarrhea, steatorrhea, weakness, and dermatitis herpetiformis. Moving on to the next question. A 23-year-old woman presents to her family physician complaining of an extremely itchy rash over her neck, buttocks, and extends her arms and legs. She has been afebrile and has not had any recent travel, outdoor activity, or sick contacts. She has a long history of diarrhea with greasy stools and flatulence. She has tried a gluten-free diet in the past, but she stopped the diet two months ago after her family insisted that it was just a fad and too difficult to accommodate. Since introducing wheat back into her diet, her diarrhea has returned and she developed the rash three weeks ago. She has been avoiding gluten for the past week, but the rash has not resolved. Which of the following best describes her conditions? And the choices are 1. The patient needs to be admitted to the hospital for IV antibiotics. 2. Intestinal biopsy is likely to show blunting of the villi and hyperplasia of the crypts. 3. The patient's condition is associated with anti-glutamic acid decarboxylase. 4. The patient's condition is associated with HLA-B27. And 5. The rash is caused by mast cell degranulation. The correct answer to this question is 2. Intestinal biopsy is likely to show blunting of the villi and hyperplasia of the crypts. So the patient is most likely suffering from celiac disease, which is an autoimmune intolerance of gliadin, a gluten protein found in wheat. Intestinal biopsy of patients with celiac disease reveals blunting of the villi and hyperplasia of the crypts due to inflammatory damage. There is strong evidence that this patient's symptoms are the result of celiac disease. There are many causes of diarrhea, including Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, lactose intolerance, infectious etiologies, and irritable bowel syndrome. The patient's resolution of symptoms with a gluten-free diet, followed by relapse when she began consuming wheat again, support a diagnosis of celiac disease. When patients with celiac disease consume wheat, an inflammatory response is generated due to the presence of anti-gliadin antibodies. This inflammatory response damages the intestinal mucosa and causes malabsorption of nutrients, diarrhea, steatorrhea, and flatulence. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, both the diarrhea and rash should be treated first by eliminating gluten consumption. Dermatitis herpetiformis may take several months to resolve. Dapsone is an antibiotic that can be used to aid in the treatment of this rash, but it is an oral medication and does not require urgent hospital admission. Answer 3. Anti-glutamic acid decarboxylase is associated with type 1 diabetes. Celiac disease is associated with anti-endomysial, 
anti-tissue transglutaminase, and anti-gliadin antibodies. Answer 4. Celiac disease is associated with HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8. HLA-B27 is associated with psoriasis, ankylosing spondylitis, inflammatory bowel disease, and reactive arthritis. And finally, answer 5. Mast cell degranulation causes urticaria, which are erythematous papules and plaques that blanch or turn white with pressure. To leave you with the bullet summary, celiac disease is an autoimmune-mediated intolerance of gliadin, causes diarrhea, steatorrhea, flatulence, and dermatitis herpetiformis. Tissue biopsy shows blunting of the villi, hyperplasia of the crypts, and lymphocytic infiltration of the lamina propria. And moving on to the final question. A 22-year-old woman presents to her primary care physician complaining of a red, itchy rash on her elbows and shoulders for two months. She has no history of medical problems and reviews systems is positive only for occasional loose stools. She is appropriately prescribed Dapsone, which relieves the rash within hours. What is the diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Candida intertrigo, 2. Porphyria cutanea tarda, 3. Systemic lupus erythematosus, 4. Dermatitis herpetiformis, and 5. Leprosy. The correct answer to this question is 4. Dermatitis herpetiformis. So this patient's presentation is consistent with dermatitis herpetiformis, which is a dermatological manifestation of celiac disease. Dermatitis herpetiformis is a pruritic rash of extensor surfaces that occurs due to IgA deposition in the dermis. It is treated with Dapsone, and response to Dapsone confirms the diagnosis of the condition. Response typically occurs within hours. GI symptoms in patients with dermatitis herpetiformis and celiac disease are often absent, but the lesions respond to a gluten-free diet. Bickle et al. described dermatitis herpetiformis as pruritic, chronic, and characterized by papulovesicles and urticarial wheels. It occurs on the extensor surfaces in a grouped or herpetiform symmetric distribution. Linear IgA dermatosis is a clinically similar entity that is not associated with intolerance to gluten. Nakajima explains that IgA and antibodies against epidermal transglutaminase 3 play an important role in the pathogenesis of dermatitis herpetiformis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, candida intertrigo appears within the folds of the skin. Answer 2, porphyria cutanea tarda is not treated with dapsone. It does not feature abdominal pain such as is seen in the other porphyrias. Answer 3, systemic lupus erythematosus is not treated with dapsone. And finally, answer 5, leprosy caused by mycobacterium leprae infection is also treated with dapsone. However, leprosy has a systemic pattern including leonine facies and motor as well as sensory loss in lepromatous leprosy. Recall that lepromatous leprosy develops when the immune response fails, while tuberculoid leprosy develops when the immune response is intact. That's all for this review about celiac disease. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that this podcast is designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.